Hi everybody, happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I'm so happy to bring this message to you. On a Sunday in 1815, the historic Battle of Waterloo in Belgium pitted the French army of Napoleon against the combined forces of the British Empire, the Netherlands, three independent German states, and Prussia. The British and their allies were commanded by the Duke of Wellington. The battle between Napoleon and Wellington would determine the future of Europe. It was a time of great anxiety because the future of England and many other nations was uncertain. The story is told about how the news of the battle reached England from Waterloo. A sailing ship signaled with flags the news to the signalman on top of Winchester Cathedral near the coast of England in the south. The signalman signaled to another man on a hill, and thus the news was relayed by signal from station to station to station to London and so forth all across the land. When the ship came in, it signaled the word Wellington. The next word signaled was defeated. Then fog came down and the ship could not be seen. So the signal went out across the land, Wellington defeated and with it, it brought great gloom across the country. But after two or three hours, the fog lifted, and the signal began again, and it started over, and it came in with these words, Wellington, defeated, the enemy. Then England rejoiced all over the land. There was also a day when they put the body of our Lord Jesus in the tomb, and the message appeared to be Christ defeated. But three days later, the message changed. On Resurrection Sunday, the message was clear. Christ defeated the enemy. The disciples knew that the resurrection of Jesus meant that our greatest enemy had been defeated and our future is secure. On every Resurrection Sunday since, Christians have proclaimed the good news that the Nazarene rose from the grave and the church has been proclaiming freedom from sin and death, eternal life, freedom from fear, and everlasting hope on Easter. Today is a historic Resurrection Sunday as millions of Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not gathered in person like we have for the past two millennia, but isolated due to restrictions related to the spread of coronavirus. But this Easter, like every Easter, is about life. It's about the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle John wrote the following in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. He writes, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Which I think, by the way, this is Mark's side note. I think this was John's way of saying he was, 
younger and faster than Peter, okay? Uh, verse 5, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And so today, the disciples of Jesus are home again. But the resurrection happened. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the first of two great doctrines that are essential to Christians. Those doctrines are this. First, the resurrection. And second, personal repentance. And I will get to the second in just a moment. But let's look at the resurrection. The Apostle Paul told us that the resurrection of Christ was of central importance. He said that, quote, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, unquote, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And he went on to say in verses 17 through 19 of 1 Corinthians, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The events of the crucifixion and the resurrection still occupy a central place in our worship, in our imagination, in the scriptures, and our destiny. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at that time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. Paul is telling us that he delivered a message of first importance to his listeners in Corinth, just as he received it from Christ and the other apostles. He notes that the events fulfilled the Old Covenant scriptures, which predicted the death, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus. And most interestingly, Paul is telling these Corinthian Christians that there were still people alive who had witnessed the resurrected Savior. Cephas is another name for Peter. And there were other apostles spread throughout the world in Paul's day who were spreading the gospel. But there were also 500 people who saw the risen Jesus at one time, some of whom had passed away when Paul penned these words in 1 Corinthians. Dr. David Jeremiah tells the story of Marilyn Sewell interviewing Christopher Hitchens for the Portland Monthly Magazine. Hitchens 
was a prolific journalist and a renowned atheist who wrote the number one New York Times bestseller, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Sewell, on the other hand, is a self-described liberal Christian who, before her retirement, grew Portland's first Unitarian Church into one of the largest congregations of that denomination in America. In an introduction to one of her questions, Sewell states this. She says, I am a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Hitchens' blunt response, Hitchens being an atheist, this is surprising and remarkable. He says, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not in any meaningful sense a Christian. That's what Hitchens said. Even atheists know that the belief in the risen Savior is the defining mark of the believer. Believing in the resurrection is certainly a top priority for believers. But if it's not true, we shouldn't waste our time or our lives believing a lie, if it's false, if it's not true. But if it is true, as those first eyewitnesses of the resurrection have told us in the Gospels, then this truth changes everything in history and eternity. And that is exactly what has happened. Christ has given us power to live lives differently. He has given us a new start. He has given us hope and peace and love and joy and a million different things that he has unlocked in our hearts and make us groan with this eager longing that we wait for the day to see Christ face to face. Well, back in the Gospel of John, we read the following about the disciples of Jesus being locked at home in Jerusalem on the evening of Resurrection Sunday. John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said this to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples were glad to see the risen Lord. They received his peace as well as his commission to go into the world as our Heavenly Father sent Jesus into the world with a message of forgiveness and redemption and hope. In order to experience all of the peace and the joy of the risen Christ, we must intentionally receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. A simple prayer of receiving him might sound like this, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and I receive your gift of forgiveness. Thank you for your sacrifice and your resurrection. I make you master and redeemer of my life in Jesus' name. 
God's, no, God's not so concerned with the particular words as he is with our attitude. In order to come to God, you have to repent. And what repent means in the New Testament is literally that you have a mind change, a changed mind. He changes our mind. God is not our enemy. He is our hope. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us and change us. And there is not anything that we can do that is good or pleasing, uh, good or pleasing to God, apart from God doing it through us, through the person of Christ within us. We approach God with an attitude of humility. We approach God with an attitude of submission. And those things don't come natural to any human being. And so we use our intentional will to receive what Christ has done for us. We believe in the resurrection, but most importantly, we apply it to our life through an attitude of humility and submission by saying, I receive that forgiveness. I'm a follower of Jesus from this day until the day that I die. I'm going to read to you an account here in, in closing uh, uh, one last illustration about a man named Patrick Neff. Patrick Neff attended Baylor University in Texas and received his law degree from the University of Texas. He, be he became a prosecuting attorney in Waco and then went on to be a member of the Texas House of Representatives and eventually became the governor of Texas for two terms. He was a Christian who loved peace and reconciliation. Once when he was serving as governor, he visited the state penitentiary and spoke to the convicts there. He told all of them in a gathering that if any man wanted to talk to him that day, he would gladly listen. He further announced that his listening would be in confidence, that nothing a man said would be used against him. When the general meeting was over, a large group of men remained and lined up to talk to the governor. One by one, they told him uh, their own story, as you can imagine. They told them uh, stories of injustices done against them, frame-ups, and how they'd been, uh, you know, unrighteously accused. All of them proclaimed their innocence. Finally, one man came up to the governor and said, Mr. Governor, I just want you to know that I am guilty. I did what they sent me here for, but I believe that I've paid for it. And if I were granted the right to go out, I would do everything that I could to be a good citizen. I would prove myself worthy of your mercy. The governor realized the man's sincerity and he granted him a pardon. With the true sorrow, of repentance comes change. And it's not because we've decided to change, but when we really have that same attitude of humility and admission that we can't really do anything good or anything pleasing in God's sight or anything for the benefit of ourselves or our neighbors, when we surrender to Jesus by intentionally submitting our life and our will to him, then it's not us who unlocks all of the power of heaven in our life, it's Jesus. God the Father is good to us for the sake of Jesus. 
And I want to share these words too, because it's not about our performance. The story of Easter is the fact that when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, Christ, the Son of God, redeemed us. And he's still doing a wonderful work in the lives of believer, believers throughout the world. And that work is one in which we can't do anything to add to the work of Christ. So I usually tell people, I say, that there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. But there's also nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. He's done everything that he's going to ever do for our sake already at the cross, as well as through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So that power is resurrection power. And the benediction given in the letter of Hebrews goes like this. And let me... Uh, speak it to you this morning. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Won't you pray with me on this Resurrection Sunday? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be the atonement for our sins. We thank you that he has given us freedom from fear, freedom from despair, freedom from so many anxieties and uncertainties and insecurities and questions about our identity and many other things that hold us back in this life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you use even discouraging things uh, to bring us to you to realize that you want to fill us with all of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that characterizes the spirit of holiness. So you fill our worship and our imagination today as we remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We honor you with our lives and we pray once again that you would continue to do a deep work of repentance in our life, of redemption, of cleansing, of freedom, and of wholeness. Heal us from our iniquities, Lord. You are our only hope, and we thank you that you do this work in our lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.